Okay, we'll go into this storeroom where lots of common riding items are kept, including the oldest common riding flag from 1707 that was ordered by the town council because the old flag was tattered and torn, which at least shows the this is not the first flag, there was an older flag. And next to it we have the 1744 grammar school flag, not in such a good condition now, but sandwiched between two layers of glass to keep it with its shape. Silk just doesn't doesn't last after hundreds of years. Now, keys away. So we've got a new online exhibition here. called Hoik Common Riding Glimpses Riding. Through the Centuries has just gone live on our website. It features artifacts going back to the early 1700s, all selected from the Hoik Museum collection. Today on the Live Borders podcast, we're behind the scenes at the Hoik Museum with assistant curator Richard White, who put the exhibition together. So, Richard, when it comes to tell the story of Hoik common riding through our collection, which is vast, uh, where did you even start? Well, I took the easy option and just started with the oldest thing we had, which is the 1707 common riding flag. So let's look at a couple of the exhibits, starting with the common riding flag from 1707 and pages from the council minutes with the cost of a new flag as well. So this is possibly one of the oldest exhibits you have and, and, and quite a precious one. So can you maybe say a bit about those things? Yes, well, the council minute book is held in the Heritage Hub. So we kindly got a copy from them. And what's interesting is that the minute talks about the old flag being tattered and torn. So who knows how old that old flag was? And someone was sent to Edinburgh to price the silk for a new flag. And a new flag was, was subsequently made in 1707 and a few days later was taken round the town's common, you know, the meaths and the marches, by the, the corner of the day. And it's amazing that even going back as far as 1707, we still have these documents that tell us a little bit of the story of what was going on in the town of Hoyk at the time. Yeah, we're very lucky. I suppose it's because Hoyk, although it was a small place then, it still had a very strong civic sense. And then as the town grew in the 1800s, you know, there was the wherewithal to preserve old things pertaining to the town and that sense of civic Pride continued. I mean, lots of towns like Hoyk, or a similar size to Hoyk, might not have been so lucky. I don't know. I think Hoyk is quite special in that respect. Another interesting one here I was looking at. There was a famous Hoyk photographer who had been a cornet, and he hand-coloured all his black and white photographs of commemorating principles. Now, this amazing photograph is... Viv Grieve, 1929, and his last Jean It's really quite something. Really nicely coloured. And so sort of redolent of the period, you know, the clothes she's wearing and all that kind of thing. Uh, I'm glad whoever donated this. A beautiful frame as well. All hand-carved. So we're lucky to have these things. Uh, and within this new online exhibition, there's various photographs and, and paintings, and oil paintings and watercolours of, of cornets from over the years and, and various events. So tell me about those and, and pictures of cornets must be something that you have got so many of in storage here. Well, yeah, we have, I mean, hundreds if you include photography, but obviously not so many paintings. 
And where I think we're really lucky is we've got what I think must be the oldest image of a cornet, which is an oil portrait of John Wilson, who was a cornet in 1812. Mm -hmm. He looks on the painting to be older than a, a cornet should be. So I think it was painted later in life, although he is wearing his cornet's green coat. But it's amazing to think that we know what the cornet of 1812 looked like. And also we've got the painting by Andrew Kennedy of the common riding in 1846, uh -huh. not of an individual, but of the races, which at the time took place on the common hoch, which is now a car park. Yeah. The races were moved up to the town's moor, but it's just so fascinating to see what things were like then so long ago. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I found interesting, and I live in the area and I never knew this, um, a lot of these artifacts, that they not only name the corner and the year, but they, the name is occupation as well. Well, that's very traditional. All the cornets' lists always give the name of the cornet, then comma, painter, or comma, knitwear worker, or comma, butcher, or whatever. So I've kept that up in the exhibition because I find it just so charming, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, know, I, I, I agree. Yeah. And, and one of the artefacts is um, a common riding dinner ticket from 1877, uh, and this is quite a rare and, and I believe uh, a, a new discovery. So how did you come across this? It's not the kind of thing that people tend to keep, is it? No, it's not. I mean, it had been catalogued, so somebody must have seen it years ago, but it had just got forgotten about. It was pr well preserved in a box of common riding objects, but when I saw it, I did think it's amazing that such a small cardboard thing mm -hmm. from 1877 still exists. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting that the cost of the dinner was three shillings which is 15 pence. <laughs> it just, and it was Cornet John Campbell, who was a baker. Mm -hmm. And I was looking up one of the white papers from that year, and his mother led the, I don't know what it is, at the, the, the common riding ball, the opening is led by a couple, and his mother, who I think was a widow at the time, mm -hmm. led with the then provost, mm -hmm. which is quite just so interesting, you know. <laughs> This is where we keep all the old newspapers going right back to the 1830s, all in shelves. Now, the one thing in this room that... It's mostly paper in this room. One thing that's quite interesting in this, if I still have it, is a piece of manuscript music from the late 1700s. And it's the original tune of the Hoik song Tiri Bass, but it's written for pipes. And it was played by the town piper. Nowadays, you would never hear Tiri Bass in pipes which shows you how, how things have changed. That back. And these kind of artefacts, how do you make sure that they stay safe and dry and preserved? Because that, that is quite a, a precious little piece of paper well, there. Well, it is. I mean, well, we, each room is monitored, environmentally monitored, and we keep the relative humidity, you know, the percentage of humidity between about 45 and 60, which in this building is actually quite easy because it's a very old stone-built building with really thick walls and pitch under the floorboards. So it has a, an even temperature, which is what you want for museum objects. Keep the temperature within a range and keep the relative humidity within a range. It's not too bad in this building, but the sensors 
send an alarm to the computers if the humidity goes too high. Not something that often happens in here. You know, if it did, we can open a door or, or whatever, turn the heater up. But uh, we, we are lucky in this building, very lucky. People from Hoyk are really proud of, of their history and heritage, as are people from, from all the borders towns. So uh, in, in the Hoyk Museum and across our museums and galleries, there must be people coming to you all the time to try and find pictures of their ancestors who might have been involved in some of the common ridings across the borders. Oh, yeah, that's true. Quite often we get people coming in who say, you know, my family left Hoyk in 1890s or 1920s. I mean, we even get people from Australia and the States or Canada who come to find if we have anything to do with their ancestors. I mean, obviously, if their ancestors were prominent in the town, it's much easier. But, yeah, that, that, that's very common, you know. Some of the artefacts show scenes that people will probably still remember and might even have been present when the photograph was taken. And I, I love the, the picture of the Pringle of Scotland Mill Cornet and Principles from 1958. Yeah, well, that's just so incredible that the, the knitwear mills, I mean, the larger ones, you know, there was Pringle, there was Braemar, there was Peter Scott, Lyland Scott, always had a mill cornet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they were always apprentices. Now, if you go back to the 50s, and people left school at 15. Mm -hmm. So these cornets often <laughs> look so young, you know, and I just find it amazing to... I, I took that as natural when I was young, that every mill had a mill cornet, but it's quite a thing, you know. And that photograph I've included, which I think was 1958, of at the main door of what was then the Pringle factory. I mean, it's amazing to think then that Pringles employed about 2,000 people mm -hmm. and had a kind of empire, you know, there were Pringle reps all over the world. And at one time, there was Pringle shops in Dusseldorf and Vienna and branch factories all over Scotland. That Hoyk had this little empire, and there at the centre of it, they had a mill cornet, which just... <laughs> this store is where we keep our ancient Egyptian and Roman objects and things like that, things that are much older. It tends to be very stable in terms of temperature and humidity. Um, it's not that big a room. And when you come in, do you smell a smell of spices? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's because we've got this Indian wedding procession, which was a gift in uh, 1910 to Lord Minto, who was the Viceroy of India. And we suspect that they're papier-mâché and silk clothes, but we suspect that they're, they're preserved with spices. So they give this lovely spicy aroma <laughs> in this room. And behind them, you can see all of our ancient Egypt objects with photographs of pots and whatnot, and then Roman objects down below. And then we've got, you know, foreign ethnography from all over the world, which people brought back to Hoyk in the 1800s. Uh, in here we've got social history, um, things to do with people's jobs, um, things that people made, um, things to do with local clubs and all that kind of thing. Here we have domestic items, crockery, um, candlesticks, lamps, um, serving dishes, glasses, all sorts of things. Uh, I suppose mainly from the 1800s and even some probably even earlier. Hot water bottles, ceramic hot water bottles. 
And then here we have a collection of wooden walking sticks with some amazing sticks uh -huh. that have been donated over the years. Shepherds, crooks, but also just the most phenomenal walking sticks that people use, you know. You've given us a good look around behind the scenes at Hoyt Museum today, and I know that you've been in this job for a, a long time. Do you still find surprises uh, as you're going through these um, various boxes and books and catalogues and, and things that you've obviously been catalogued before, but it's been a number of years since anyone's paid a certain artifact any kind of attention? Oh yeah, that that's the most amazing thing about this job is that the things you find, you suddenly turn something up and you cannot believe it because this year, you know, twenty twenty one, the centenary coronet would have been ch is Chap Landles, and just looking through a box, I found his coronet's lass's badge, Bessie Irvin, nineteen twenty one. Where we looked at just now, it's just mm -hmm. so amazing, um, and you know. Someone collected religious artifacts in the late 1800s from all over the world when they were a missionary, and we still have those. And sometimes when you look at them, it's just amazing. The, these small things that were of religious significance to somebody were brought back to Hoyk, and we still got them. 